Good evening. You're listening to Team Connect on WDIY 88.1 FM, and I'm your host, Prathisha Kathare. As many of you may know, my intention with Connect is to open discussions about community and global challenges with peers and professionals to prompt inquiry, interest, and reflection. The focus of our segment tonight is on the effects of COVID-19 on the economy, as well as minority populations from a local and state perspective. And through our interviews, compare this to the manifestation of trends and experiences within our Lehigh Valley and Pennsylvania localities. Danielle Joseph, one of our guests tonight, is going to talk about how she's helped women manage the effects of COVID-19 in the economy in the Lehigh Valley. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me, Prathisha. So the focus of this segment has been to talk about the impact of COVID on the labor force and minority communities. And I think you're one of the most qualified people who could offer some insight into this subject, overseeing the Hispanic, young professionals, and women's business councils, and even help form two of the newest LGBTQ and African-American councils in the last few years. Could you tell us a little bit more about your background and why you became involved in the Valley's Chamber of Commerce? I work with the Greater Lehigh Valley Chamber of Commerce. As, as you said, I work with our diversity councils. I've been at the chamber almost 18 years. I started in our Easton office shortly after college, started as a part-time administrative assistant. And then I was able to start working with we, what we had called them at the time, mission councils. It was our women's business council and our small, small business council. You know, really had a lot of great mentors working at the chamber. So many business folks in the Lehigh Valley have helped me and really taught me a lot of things. And then our CEO encourages us to really take what we're passionate about and help grow it within the chamber and grow it within the business community. So we, I was able to, at the time, there was a Hispanic Chamber of Commerce that, that was its own organization. And there, were, there was the Tri-City African American Chamber that I would go to their events and help out and partner with them. And then... Down the line, you know, we were able to form better, stronger relationships with both groups. And now the groups are part of the Greater Lehigh Valley Chamber. So as you had mentioned, I'm very happy to have been able to help start our LGBTQ business council. I remember the day I was sitting in my office and a new member had walked in. And he's a member of the LGBTQ community. And he said to me, Danielle, I find it amazing. You guys are, at the time, I think we were like seventh largest chamber in, in the nation. And he's like, I can't believe you don't have a council for the LGBTQ community. And in other parts of the country, there are chambers, but there are standalone chambers. There, there's the LGBTQ chamber or the Hispanic chamber. And I said, well, if you want to help me make a council, please, I could use a volunteer and we can get moving on it. So that's exactly what we did. Now the council is, oof, I think over six or seven years old, and it's thriving. Um, we have great volunteers and, and do annual events and, and really keep things moving in the Lehigh Valley. Yeah, it is absolutely wonderful. And as I was going through, you know, the main website, you can go into all the councils, look at the events that they're having. So as you said, attesting to just the size and the diversity of representation there. So it's pretty incredible. But to kick us off, and talking about women in the labor force and how they've been affected during COVID. So we all know that women have suffered disproportionately with the pandemic, often forfeiting jobs to care for children. How do you see this manifesting in our community? And are there special women groups that are more impacted? Yes, yes, for sure. I was just reading a few articles the other day about how women have been affected disproportionately. 
And anytime there's a crisis, you know, it brings out the inequities, the inequalities, it exacerbates them. And it's really unfortunate. And it's, it's something that a lot of women are going through right now. I was reading, I think it was that the employment rate for women, you know, no matter how many strides we've made in the last few decades is now down to what it was in the 80s, which is something that's very sad. There are groups of parts of of women groups, you know, mothers and and women of color that are definitely more affected. And it's because, you know, even though we're in 2021, a lot of the unpaid work at home, you know, caring for people, caring for parents, caring for children, the housework, and, and it's still in many households, that's the primary responsibility of the woman in the house. So there's women who have been laid off because they're unable to keep up with their job, but also women have made the decision to come out of the workforce so that they can care for their children that unfortunately, because the schools have been closed and it's sad. It is sad because I don't know how we'll recover from that. Yeah. And as you were saying, making that decision to come out of the labor force, one of my closest chemistry teachers I was emailing her to just talk and catch up after two years. And she told me, oh, I'm no longer with the school. I had to take leave of absence because of COVID to work with her kids at home. So definitely a very, very real impact that a lot of us are feeling. But I think, you know, one of the really encouraging things that I was looking at, especially on the Women's Business Council webpage, was these hosts of events that you've had since the beginning of COVID. Resilience during a crisis, women in stress, helping children cope forums that you've hosted. Can you talk a little bit about what inspired these events and how women have been impacted? Sure, sure. So each of the groups that we had talked about, our Women's Council, our Hispanic Chamber, LGBTQ Business Council, they all have talented board members that are volunteer board members that help us figure out how we're going to proceed with our mission, which for the Women's Council, it's to inspire, recognize, and empower women in business and women in the Lehigh Valley. So when the pandemic first hit, you know, after the shock of it, our group, we have, like I said, boards, and then we have committees that work with the board. So we have a programming committee. We met and we were like, okay, what can we do? You know, the Chamber of Commerce, people come to connect and to grow their network and to get more business. Well, all of a sudden, when you can't meet in person, and and the women's group is very active and and thrives on that human connection and and being able to, to empower one another and kind of talk about these kinds of things, we were like, oh my goodness, you know, what can we do? So we started virtual events where we would give information like that. And, and that was very helpful because a lot of us has, we had to isolate with the pandemic. And that is just something that, that was detrimental to a lot of groups, women being one of them. So I'm happy in the last month, last couple of months, we've been planning what we call willpower groups. So it's women in local leadership. That's where the will comes from. So willpower groups and they're networking groups for women, you know, five to six women, because I've had so many people come to me and say, I miss, it's great, the programs that you're doing, and they're very informative, and they're wonderful, but we miss that connection. We miss being able to talk to one another, you know, five minutes before a program would start and just find out how each other's families are doing or how's work or whatever. So we started these groups that are just purely networking so that women can have that connection back with one another. Regarding the other events that you were mentioning, they were amazing. We were able to reach out to school counselors, psychologists to come in and just kind of talk to us about mindfulness and what we're going through and that people are all experiencing trauma right now and to to be kinder to ourselves and to be kinder to our children and kind of just get through this. 
definitely fostering those connections for solidarity and outlets to talk about a lot of the individual struggles that we think we're facing and being able to bring that to a community that we feel comfortable in. So based on this Women's Council's mission and your experience empowering women in our community, especially as it pertains to business, what is your perspective on how women can recover the ground that's lost? Because as you mentioned, it has been pretty astronomical how the trends have really exacerbated the inequality, gender inequality that still exists in our economy and our social lives. So what is your opinion as to how we can continue to advance in the quest for this labor equality and to help women recover? Yeah, it's a really great question. And it, it, it's not just for women, although we like to take things into our own hands and, and do and be in control and and really try to advance ourselves. It's something that the, the whole community is going to have to work with to help and and that's going to be, you know, with people being intentional in their hiring and and really promoting folks as well and mentoring and helping people get a leg up. It's not something that just women can do by themselves. Absolutely. Another major question is in interacting with these communities through these forums, what are their major concerns that they bring to you? And through what they voice, do you kind of shift the focus, some of the programs, do different age brackets or ethnic communities have different outlooks or questions that they bring to you? Yeah. So that was something we, we needed to quickly realize at the start of the pandemic that, you know, we, we basically have this a similar formula for the, the councils that we work with. You know, we have our boards and committees and we would have networking events and educational events and some galas. But when the pandemic hit and we couldn't do any of that, we really, it, it gave us a chance to look at each group individually and figure out their needs. So for example, our Hispanic chamber. Culturally, our group, even when we go to meetings where we don't know people, hug and a kiss, and you know, we just have that connection with one another. So we started to do a weekly, it was called Café con Conexión, Coffee with Connection. And it was just like show up eight o'clock in the morning on a Friday with your coffee and just talk about what's going on. And that was super helpful for the group. Our LGBTQ Business Council, Isolation, you know, during the pandemic, it was it's brutal for the group, for, for all of us, but especially for the group with mental health and everything. So the events took a more of a come and meet and talk to one another, express how you're feeling. The same thing with our African-American Business Leaders Council over the summer with the murder of George Floyd, like that, that was something that we needed to focus on. We needed we needed a safe space for the group to be able to come and talk about what they were feeling and what what was what they were dealing with every day. So we definitely most definitely took a pause and we were able to evaluate what each group needed. And it was it looked a little different than what a chamber of commerce usually delivers. And that's okay because in order for people to be good at business and thrive and be great business people, they have to be okay personally first. Absolutely. Definitely a shift to the more human aspects of yes. what it means to be successful and being able to feel comfortable, feel like you belong and have the reinforcement that you need by the community. So if we talk a little bit about businesses in particular in the Lehigh Valley, I've read, you know, through some comparative studies of Allentown, comparing it to Pennsylvania's economy, to the national economy and how businesses have been 
affected during COVID. And I wanted to ask, do you know how small businesses have been impacted by COVID in our community? And if there's anything specifically in terms of resources that the chambers or the councils advise in terms of tax provisions, PPP loans, other financial and strategic support to help businesses during this time? Yes. So it's been detrimental to small business as well and and restaurants, gyms, you know, salons. And we've been helpful in certain ways that the best that we could. We had different grants. We were able to do three rounds of grants in the beginning of COVID with help from our partners that funded and also with some of our reserves at the chamber to really push out their money when people needed it the most. We had a restaurant relief fund that we did just before Christmas. I think it was Christmas Eve where we were able to also give grants. We've been doing a lot of webinars on the PPP. We had the SBA come in. We did it in Spanish as well. And now doing webinars on vaccine safety and, and what businesses need to know about will their employees get the vaccines and how to come come back safely. And, and we, we've been doing all that, trying to educate folks and connect them as much as possible. I think another, just another thing that I can add is, although people aren't connecting as much in person, they're connecting virtually. And I think that's just another way that people are going to come back to it and, and bounce back. They, we have to support locally. We have to support our community and, and spend our money here as much as we can. Yeah, that is one of the avenues that we can look to is fostering these connections to hopefully once we overcome some of these obstacles with vaccine distribution that we're able to pick up where we left off. You pointed to one of the important implications, which is the future. So talk about what you think the future holds, whether on a community level or with regard to the council's initiatives. What are you hopeful for most of all in terms of our future? Yeah, that's a great question. So I'll start with the last question that that you asked, what I'm hopeful for. I'm hopeful that this time that, that we've had, We've been forced to slow down and see people's humanity. I hope that people don't forget that. I hope that it really, and I can see in the, in the groups that I'm in, I'm, I can see people genuinely wanting to learn and wanting to know how they can do better, especially when it's, when it's in regards to cultural competence and being inclusive. So I, I hope that that hunger for that continues, being able to see someone's humanity and because uh, I believe that we'll all do better in business because of that. You had also asked what things have I seen change that I, th- I think that will continue or, or how it's changed for the better. I think, <laughs> at least I can speak for myself, I was so afraid of learning to Zoom. Now it's like something, like a lot of our committee members asked before, can we just do a Zoom meeting? And I was like, oh my God, I don't want to learn this new platform. We've noticed that we have, at least for our committee and board meetings, that that's probably something that we're going to continue in the future because everybody is, is busy. So to, have, to cut down on that travel time is super helpful. So we'll probably continue to do our Zoom meetings for our boards and committees, and that's, that's been helpful. We've all been able to get through that learning curve. But I think the hunger for being in person is, is going to make our events that more successful. So that, that's what I see in the future for us. Absolutely. In terms of being technologically savvy, I remember when my dad first talked about Zoom because he's a teacher at Lehigh. And I was like, I I don't even know what that is. I didn't know that, you know, you could do (laughs) video calls on a computer. So how things have changed. And talking about your events and hopefully it re-energizes them when they are able to be held in person again. I know you help organize the Women's Summit, the health fair, the Women to Women Mentoring. Are these things that 
you are continuing during this time or that you're preparing for in the next coming months? And have the focus shifted for any of these major events that you hold? Yes. So we're actually planning to do our Women's Health Fair in May. We moved it back because we'd like to do it outside so that people can come. The Women's Summit, it was supposed to be last June. We pushed it off to October, hoping that at that time we thought, oh, in October we'll be able to be in person. But we did it virtually. Women's Summit is something that we won't ever not do. That that event is just amazing. And even the energy in a virtual setting is, is wonderful. So we have started planning, trying to figure out the time frame if we're going to do it virtually in June or a little bit later. But yeah, we continue to plan. It's changed up a little bit with the topics instead of being purely business. And we were never purely business with, with the diversity councils, but really looking at what hits home for for the person, the individual, and how that connects with business. So so we're tweaking the topics a little bit, of course, to make sure they're relevant. And I think to close it out, if we could just perhaps talk about if community members who aren't currently part of councils or part of the chamber who want this kind of advice or these kind of perspectives, is there any avenue for community involvement that you can speak to? Oh, sure. We're, we're super inclusive at the chamber. So you can go on our website, lehavalleychamber.org, reach out to any one of the staff members. There's a page about us and it has our staff listed. Any one of us will be able to help guide you into what might be your niche of the chamber. We're a regional chamber, so that means we cover Allentown, Bethlehem, Easton, and all the surrounding communities. There's so many of them, plus our diversity councils. So when you talk to any one of the staff members, they'll be able to figure out what, what might be helpful for you. That's wonderful. That's exactly what we need in these times. So telling our listeners about these outlets will hopefully be super helpful. So thank you so much, Danielle. That was such an enriching conversation and just inspired so much hope with regard to how the community is getting through these tough times and knowing that there are outlets and people and even if it's virtually these forums that we can really meet to get through this. So I just want to thank you so much for joining us today and sharing these perspectives you know, such inspiring initiatives that are taking place. So thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you. It was awesome having such a great conversation with such a bright young woman. That's awesome. (laughs) I couldn't imagine being able to hold a conversation like this when I was in high school. So thank you so much for what you do for the community and your interest in what we do. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot. When we come back, we'll be talking with Professor Timothy Kelsey from Penn State regarding the economic trends on different labor sectors and demographic communities in Pennsylvania. We'll be right back. Celtic Fair, a celebration of Celtic music and culture, from its roots in Ireland, Scotland, Wales, Brittany, and Galicia, to its branches in Australia, Cape Breton, Canada, Chicago, New York, Philadelphia, and the Lehigh Valley. Music, interviews, and a weekly culture calendar, every Thursday from 7 to 9, here on WDIY. Connect to WDIY with our new app. Download for free from the Apple or Google Store and enjoy the great music, news, and programs you love on the go. The easy-to-use app is where you can listen to WDIY Live or your favorite music shows on demand with our two-week archive feature. 
Download and share the WDIY app with your friends and family and introduce them to many choices, real voices. Galactic Travels brings you hour-long soundscapes of electronic, ambient, and space music. That's Thursday night at 11, right here on WDIY Allentown, Lehigh Valley Public Radio, 88.1 FM and WDIY.org. Many choices, real voices. I'm Prithish Kathari, your host this evening for Teen Connect. And tonight I'll be talking with Dr. Kelsey, who's joining us all the way from State College at Penn State. For our listeners, Dr. Kelsey is the Associate Head at the Department of Agricultural Economics, Sociology, and Education at Penn State. He's also a professor of Agricultural Economics, Community, Environment, and Development Program Coordinator, and is the co-director at the Center for Economic and Community Development. I wanted to talk to Dr. Kelsey today because many of his research endeavors work towards supporting the greater community. In fact, as I was doing research for this segment, I came across this article published by Penn State, which said COVID-related unemployment hits people of color, women, and older workers hardest. And so that is how I came in contact with Dr. Kelsey. And so the focus of this segment is going to be to talk to him about some of those research endeavors and what they've revealed over this last eight or nine month period that we've been dealing with COVID. So without further ado, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Kelsey. really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you today. To start us off, would you mind introducing yourself and talking about what your role has been in reviewing these crucial state-level studies as they relate to COVID? As you said, I'm a professor of agricultural economics at Penn State University, and, and my specific responsibilities include doing applied research on issues of importance to uh, Pennsylvania communities. And, and given the kind of the suddenness and the deep impacts of, of COVID-19, my colleagues and I have been uh, looking at that, trying to understand better what the implications are of COVID for, uh, for workers, for local businesses, and for communities across the state. Sure. And that's, you know, exactly why we want to talk about that today. So in the one research study that I had read through in preparation for this segment that we're going to discuss, could you talk about the major findings of that research, including, you know, impact on minorities, women versus men, and the 65-plus working community in Pennsylvania, and perhaps how that compares with national trends that we've been observing? The, the study you're referring to, uh, we looked at unemployment claims applications that were submitted to the state and the state's Department of Labor and, and used that as a way to identify which groups um, by race, by age, by gender were being especially affected one way or the other by COVID-19. And so we looked at the weekly claims data, estimated those claims as a percentage of uh, by racial group, by, uh, by gender, by sector, the number of employees in each sector in the state as well, too, and, and then calculated over time for each week how the claims, the percentage of claims coming from uh, each of those different populations change over time. And you know, what we discovered is that in the initial kind of onset in uh, late March, early April through early May, essentially COVID was affecting workers by race, essentially identical, white workers, African-American workers, Hispanic workers, Asian workers, were suffering um, 
very sudden increases in the number of unemployment claims coming across from those those groups. And so it's fairly consistent with the initial onset. And that was during the time when there's a shutdown that, that folks had the stay-at-home orders and so on. Since then, the unemployment claims by racial group have uh, essentially been dropping fairly steadily over time, but they're dropping at different rates based on, on race. For example, white workers since the peak in May 2nd, the claims have dropped by about 71%, so they're, they're down to uh, statewide. The claims are equal to about 5.5% of the total white workforce. Claims from African-American workers are only down by a little bit over 50%. And so uh, current claims, uh, current as of January 9th, is where our data goes through. Claims from African-American workers are equal to about 10.4% of the total African-American labor force. And from Hispanic workers uh, dropped only by about 56%. And so uh, currently it's about 9.7% claims rate. So the initial effect was similar across all, but the recovery has been slower for African-American workers and for Hispanic workers than, uh, than for white workers. And so another interesting demographic that you looked at also was the 65-plus working community. And in doing research, this was, you know, one community that I hadn't really thought of as being heavily affected because of COVID. We have a lot of focus on minorities and um, men versus women. But I was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about maybe what motivated why you wanted to investigate this demographic and what you found through this evaluation period as well. Our interest is re- was really to identify what specific groups of workers were being affected one way or the other. And, and age is one of the things that, that is important. And uh, I think the age findings were the most surprising to me. That we discovered is that workers age 65 and over were more likely to be still filing claims for unemployment compensation than were other aged groups, especially affecting workers over 65 and workers in their 20s and early 30s. And, you know, the, the workers in the 20s and early, thir- early 30s kind of makes, makes sense. Those typically are workers that are relatively early in their career, you know, kind of last hired, first fired, uh, kind of the phenomenon over time. And so that's not that surprising. But the, the workers 65 and over are especially being affected was a piece that we had not anticipated. And I, I think what's going on there, if you, you know, most, most Americans retire by age 65. If there are still people in the workforce at 65 and over, those tend to be workers that, for financial reasons, are not able to retire. They don't have the savings. They don't have the wealth. For other reasons, they're having to be able to continue working to be able to you know, put food on the table and so on. And and yet, those are those are the workers that are most likely to be submitting unemployment claims, which suggests then that, that the low-income elderly who are still in the workforce because they have to be in the workforce, that, that COVID is especially, or has been especially affecting them over time. Absolutely. And with regard to how your findings compare with the rest of the country, obviously general trends must be similar, but were there any disparities that you observed or any interesting comparisons that were made between the two? Not necessarily at the national level. Our, our findings are consistent with what uh, other studies have found in other states. Um, Federal Reserve has done some some work comparing across the whole mid-Atlantic region. Striking to us is we did some work looking at, at the county level, and uh, there are major differences between counties. In some counties, the, the age differences are less. In other counties, they're, they're much more severe. Uh, some counties, the, the impact on African Americans is less, and it's, it's higher on, on Hispanic workers. Uh, several counties, there's not that much of a difference uh, or as much a, a large difference by race. 
it really depends on kind of the composition of the local workforce and the, the types of jobs in the community. So, you know, one kind of takeaway is um, there's no one pat answer that applies everywhere. You've got to you've got to look um, kind of the details within the community to kind of know exactly what's going on. I wanted to ask about how COVID has affected the size of the labor force in general and if there are any observations you've made with regard to discouraged workers, and especially that phenomenon as it pertains to the future, do you have any idea of how discouraged workers can integrate once again in the economy? A couple things to keep in mind. One is, as, as you're describing, whether workers will become, uh, who are unemployed will become discouraged and give up uh, looking for, uh, for work and simply withdraw from the labor force. And that, that is a concern. I know in, with past economic downturns, such as the, the Great Recession, that workers, the, the older workers that were close to retirement, many of them had a more difficult time finding another job than, than younger workers did, and so that can lead to discouragement, so they drop out of the labor force. Another factor also to think about is how the jobs are going to change, and there's been a lot of discussion and a lot of focus on that. Given the changes in working remotely, changes in technology, how many of the jobs that went away, how many of them will come back or how might they change? And so, for example, you know, fast food restaurants have the ability, and many have already started to do it, where there's a touchscreen that people can order, and so you don't need necessarily need as many workers in the fast food restaurant. Are there other places, other sectors in the economy where the jobs are simply going to go away because of that, that activity. Another example is there's a lot of discussion focus on, given the experience people have with working remotely, some of the, the larger corporations have started to say, well, maybe we don't need to have a major headquarters with all the workers coming in every day. Instead, those workers can, can work, you know, telecommute in and work from home. That can be really beneficial for those workers, but it, it creates a lost economic opportunity for the local restaurants and the other businesses um, that are located down where those headquarters were that during lunchtime, you know, the employees would uh, get a meal or they'd shop uh, elsewhere. And so there are some potential impacts as well on uh, labor demand simply because of changes in, in how the, um, the employment situation is going to change. Um, and I think we're still early in the stages of kind of speculating and guessing and kind of looking at some trends, but I, I don't know anyone who has who knows definitively what's going to happen and you know you did mention restaurants are there other labor sectors that you're seeing experiencing the highest levels of unemployment or ones that are perhaps flourishing during this time in the state and perhaps if you could talk about what is driving that the differences by sector by industry are i think one of the important stories to keep in mind with the impacts of covid that early on when everything was closed and so on tended to be more white-collar jobs that people could do remotely, could do from home. The unemployment claims were not anywhere near as high in those sectors as they were in the, in the jobs in the sectors where much more face-to-face was required. So late April, early May, with the initial kind of the peak of effects, retail was especially badly hit. The unemployment claims from the retail were uh, about 20 were equal to about 26% of the total labor force in retail with the number of claims coming in arts and entertainment and recreation the claims for unemployment were equal to about 47% of the total labor force there and accommodation food service so restaurants and motels likewise around 47% and so very, very large unemployment claims uh, unemployment in those sectors where you really can't do those jobs at a distance now one of the things that, that I think is interesting change over time is 
businesses have learned how to adapt, people have been hired back. And so retail had been a big impact. Actually, currently, retail now claims are equal to only about 6% of the total former retail employment. So, you know, retail, the, the many businesses through a curbside pickup and other kinds of things, they've found ways to be able to, to respond. There are some sectors that are still struggling, arts and entertainment and recreation. And so, you know, it's theaters and businesses that people are, um, in, you know, kind of doing recreational activities or, or so on. Still, uh, it's about a, almost 17% claims rate. Accommodation and food service, likewise, is a little bit over 15%. So, you know, both of those sectors have had a harder time finding other ways of how do you still maintain your business if people physically can't come or spend time in, in your business. Have you seen that extend perhaps in any evaluations of the small business sector and local business owners? Only anecdotally. That, you know, some of the criticisms early on of uh, federal uh, stimulus activity is that uh, some of that was focused more towards the larger firms than the smaller firms. And, and I know uh, in some places there were concerns that some of the larger uh, chain stores were allowed to remain open, but yet the, the smaller you know, uh, locally owned businesses uh, were closed under the rules. And so there, there, were, there have been some instances like that where the effects are not similar across businesses within the same sector. You know, in this article that I was reading about, it talked about how weekly payroll losses had soared during the summer, and that had a major impact on the productivity within the Commonwealth's economy. What has this meant for the state, and what are the trends toward recovery that you've been seeing? The element you're talking about is along with people being unemployed. You know, the individuals who are unemployed, they lose income. They have a you know, more difficult time you know, buying food and paying rent and, and, and so on. But that also has a broader effect on the overall economy. The more people who are unemployed who are not getting paychecks, that means less money in people's pockets in the community, and so less money being spent on food and, and rent and uh, clothing and, and other purchases. And so one of the things we looked at in, in our study is to tracking, given the unemployment claims, what, by and large, did that suggest how much money was being lost to the overall economy that people would have earned, but because they were laid off, they were not, they were not earning. And uh, much of that, uh, that loss was made up by uh, unemployment insurance. Uh, that helps contribute, and uh, especially at least through uh, through August, the uh, the federal uh, additional six hundred dollars a week to unemployed claims uh, helped offset some of that loss. But but over overall, our estimates that the the payroll loss over throughout the time in Pennsylvania is a little bit over twenty six billion dollars that was not received by workers that would have been received by workers if the economy had continued at the same pace. Now, as I said, much of that was, was made up by unemployment insurance. Much of that was made up by the federal government. But I think an important piece to keep in mind is that the economy would have been much worse off if those dollars had not been going to the unemployed workers to help them be able to spend money to you know, buy groceries and, and, and so on, to keep more money circulating. So you know, the loss of income very clearly affects the workers. The unemployment insurance, the federal uh, federal stimulus dollars helped reduce the kind of the negative effect that would have happened in Pennsylvania's economy if those were not there. And that that's a timely issue because the federal government right now is is debating whether to continue providing supplemental unemployment insurance. And, and if that goes away, that will reduce the amount of dollars that the unemployed are receiving. And then likewise, that reduces the amount of money that can be spent within the community. And so that would affect other businesses as well lead to even more more layoffs. And along those same lines of we've talked about how businesses have adapted, perhaps changed their safety and health infrastructure within their businesses to reopen, stimulus, 
mass mandates. Are there any other driving forces behind these peaks and declines that you've studied over this time? I think you've mentioned the, kind of the primary ones. I think one of the, want to stress again, I think one of the major things that has uh, helped is that businesses and workers have learned to adapt given the circumstances. And so, you know, I, I know the, some of the grocery stores that we purchase food here in State College, they very rapidly uh, shifted how they sold uh, food. And the local farmer's market likewise adapted and, and were able to survive and people were able to get, you know, buy goods and services. And so that adaptation by, by businesses to the extent that they were able to, I think really uh, help things above and beyond just the, the stimulus and the self and the safety and the health mandates and so on. We've learned because we've been forced to learn uh, how to how to manage better in this environment than uh, than we were doing back in March and April and early May when this was all brand new and, and you know people were still trying to figure out well what's going on what does this mean right like adapting to a new norm. And how does Pensy use this data on all these analyses you've conducted? Are these statistics used for any kind of support or informing state-level initiatives or at a government level? And are there programs in planning to help the most impacted worker groups that perhaps you disseminate some of these analyses to? Yeah, our, our hope is that the, the analysis that we're doing, that you know, we are releasing it to the public, we're doing um, you know, sharing information like through this interview. We're hoping that uh, this information helps policymakers and others make more informed decisions about what what's needed, uh, what's not needed, how to respond uh, one way or the other. And I, I think highlighting that the effects have been different uh, by racial group, they're different by age group, and uh, different by, by gender. That's something we've not talked about yet, is that women early on tended to have higher unemployment uh, claims rates than men did. And, and over the last month or so, they're finally back to the, to the same uh, level. But, but understanding which populations, which groups uh, especially are affected one way or another, hopefully makes it easier for policymakers and others to target assistance as appropriate uh, and, and to understand what's going on and respond um, as, as needed. And so, you know, that's, that's our, our goal with this kind of work. We have been, uh, you know, communicating and sharing as appropriate with policymakers and others to help in- encourage that kind of conversation about this focus. Uh, regarding programming, uh, programming to help uh, different groups, I know that the state is involved, the Department of Labor, um, you know, some of the workforce uh, agencies across the state, chambers of commerce, economic development firms, others uh, have been very closely monitoring the situation and they have been trying the best they can as well to be able to, to help individuals, households, and the communities uh, to deal with the challenges here. It is definitely an initiative that demands a lot of collaborations and definitely keeping business communities informed and policymakers informed will help guide us toward a solution for the future. I'm curious, has this impacted at all the courses that you're teaching at Penn State or any kind of working it into the education or curriculum of your students? Interesting question, good question. Um, the classes that, that I teach in the uh, in our program focus on kind of applied problem solving, applied uh, analysis like this. And so uh, I, I have some undergraduate students who've helped with uh, with this analysis, working with the data, and uh, and also talked about um, this analysis in some of the classes that I teach. Um, but it, it, we, we've done that. We do that with other issues as well, too. This is, I think, a really good example of situation where um, there's a lot of uncertainty, it's not clear what's going on, and a little bit of time spent doing uh, um, some analysis of numbers can help shed light on what the needs are in the community. 
Yeah, I was just very curious because when I was looking at your page, I saw the course, you know, research methods and survey research yep. methods. So I figured it factored in somewhere there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so to close us off, is there anything else that you'd like to add about the impact of your study or future work or future ideas for either monitoring or policy that you want to comment on? A couple things. We are we are updating the analysis every couple months as new data comes in just so that we can try and watch this over time. And it has been reassuring when we first did the uh, first round of analysis was early in the fall, and at that point rates were much higher, unemployment uh, claims rates were much higher than they are now. And so it's been reassuring to see them declining over time. Um, one of the things that we're interested in beyond simply kind of seeing, continuing what's happening, also understanding a little bit more why. You know, what, what are some of the causes that, uh, of why there are differences between um, you know, racial groups and by age and so on, just to, to be able to have clear information to help policymakers and others understand what could, uh, what, what could help um, these groups. So if the community or our listeners want to perhaps dive deeper into some of the work you've done, where can the public see the study? Do you have, you know, a website name that we can go and have a look yeah. at? Yeah, yeah, there's, uh, the, the, it's all under the uh, Penn State's the Center for Economic and Community Development at Penn State, and if you uh, if you Google that, um, you should find the link. Um, and um, we have uh, a couple reports. We have ca- some county level analysis, and so if you want to see uh, specific for Lehigh ca- County or Northampton County or other counties, uh, there's some county level analysis there on the website, as well as some of the other studies that we've done. So that, that's probably the easiest place to uh, to see the kind of range and breadth of work that that we're doing on this. Great. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Kelsey. I think, you know, the insights that you've brought today are shed a lot of light on some things we didn't know and dynamics that, you know, I think are really relevant for the community to hear. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you very much for inviting me and definitely enjoyed talking with you. To close out our segment, thank you for tuning in. I'm Prithisha Kathari from Teen Connect. Oh, wait, still have